Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, Lenten Preaching Edition, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. It is wonderful to be here and wonderful to see so many friends out there. And I have to say, when I came in and saw that Gabriel's oboe was going to be played, it's one of the five or six classical pieces I have in my iPhone. So I felt like it was specially for me and it was absolutely spectacular. Thank you. In 1956, Floyd Patterson and Archie Moore fought to claim the heavyweight title of the world at Chicago Stadium. Floyd Patterson knocked out Moore in the fifth round. Afterwards, when he was asked to describe what happened, Patterson said, I just hit him and the Lord did the rest. (laughs) I discovered that quote as I was researching the history of the intersection of sports and religion in the hopes of answering a very difficult question, a question that is very likely bedeviling you all today. The question, of course, is, why would anyone ask Jeff Calkins to preach a sermon? (laughs) Isn't he a sports writer? And it's true, I am a sports writer. There's an old joke about sports writers. Einstein showed up at the pearly gates one day. St. Peter said, uh, you know, times being as they are, we need some proof that you are who you say you are. And Einstein picked up a pen and wrote a brilliant equation. St. Peter said, you are who you say you are, you may come in. And the next day, Picasso showed up, and St. Peter said, you know, time's being as they are. We need some proof that you are who you say you are. Picasso picked up a pen, and a few lines later, it was clear he was Picasso. St. Peter said, you are who you say you are. You may come in. And then a sports writer showed up. Sports writers tend to be a surly group, and uh, and, uh, so asked, same drill, you need some proof that you are who you say you are. And the sports writer said, why don't I need proof that I am who I say am? St. Peter said, well, Einstein and Picasso just did it. And the sports writer said, who are Einstein and Picasso? And and St. Peter said, you are who you say you are. You may come in. (laughs) Being up here in this beautiful church as part of this historic preaching series is intimidating. Many a time, I have sat exactly where y'all are sitting, listening to the world's great preachers wrestling with the most difficult questions. It's not that I don't wrestle with difficult questions. It's just they tend to be, how do you spell Krzyzewski? (laughs) Or how do the Grizzlies keep winning without John Morant? Or most puzzling of all, how exactly did we end up with a Bass Pro Shop in a pyramid? (laughs) For the last few weeks, and this is 100% true, I have been dreaming, not necessarily in a good way, about giving this sermon a week ago I dreamt that I showed up to hear Micah Greenstein preach, but it turned out to be my day in the pulpit. (laughs) So I was summoned to the pulpit to preach a sermon that I had never written. It was a little bit like the, you know, didn't didn't prepare for the test dream, only there was that scent of waffles in the air. But throughout all of this, pretty much everyone I've talked to, and I've asked a lot of people for advice, have suggested that I should focus on the intersection 
of religion and sports. And there are obvious connections. Both have their cathedrals, St. Paul's or Fenway Park. Both have their places to which people pilgrimage, pilgrimages, whether it's Jerusalem or Cooperstown. And I understand, if you're an Episcopalian anyway, both occasionally involve the consumption of alcohol. But I confess, I tend to resist these two easy parallels, which can be overdone to the point of caricature. Right now, if you go to the internet, for the low, low price of $29.95, you can buy a figurine of Jesus playing football, and a figurine of Jesus playing hockey, and a figurine of Jesus doing Taekwondo. Those of you who are in the market of a professional wrestling Jesus are as of yet out of luck. I do not mean to suggest that the intersection of sports and religion can't have some wonderful aspects to them. James Naismith, who invented basketball, was an ordained minister. But I think I'm going to leave it to others to expand on those connections. As the great running back Jim Brown once said, God ain't got nothing to do with winning a football game. So I came upon my topic today another way. It was as I was covering the Memphis basketball season. And what a remarkable basketball season it was. They ended their a streak of not going to the NCAA tournament. They played valiantly in losing to Gonzaga. But as some of you may remember, I played a small role in this season. After a devastating loss to SMU, I asked Penny Hardaway a question that led to a colorful rant. <laughs> Among the other things Penny said was, stop asking me bleeping stupid questions, bro. The vant, vant, rant, rant went viral. Penny apologized. But it turned out to be something of a turning point in the season. And I have thought about that moment a lot. And I have reflected on the bleeping stupid question I asked him. <laughs> Do you know what it was? I actually have the actual audio of the question queued up. Penny, have you ever lost faith that you can get this done? Let's hear it again. Penny, have you ever lost faith that you can get this done? That was really the question. Have you ever lost faith that you can get this done? The question wasn't about Penny's lineups. It wasn't about his recruiting. It wasn't about his job security. It was about whether he was able to sustain his faith at a difficult time. I don't think that is a particularly stupid question. Indeed, I would argue it is one of the essential questions. Have you ever lost faith? What do you do when your faith is shaking? How do you maintain your faith in difficult times? It was a difficult time for Penny Hardaway. His team had just lost eight out of the last 12 games. Really significant players were sidelined by injury. Memphis had actually had to cancel a game. Again, it had to be canceled because not enough players were vaccinated. The truth of the matter is, it would have been surprising if Penny's faith hadn't been tested in that moment. And I would argue that in a very larger sense, 
It would be surprising if our faith hasn't been tested over the last few years. It has been a difficult time. We live in a country where almost 25% of the population remains unvaccinated and where 35% of the population believes the last presidential election was stolen. We live in a city in which a promising Rhodes student was shot and killed in his midtown home. We live in a world in which one man, Vladimir Putin, Putin, has unleashed death and misery upon the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia, too. It all feels like insanity. Whatever you have faith in, whether it's democracy or humanity or God, I suspect your faith has been tested over the last few years. I know mine has. Particularly, honestly, when that Rhodes student, Drew Rayner, was killed. I am someone who has great faith in the future and goodness of this city. But that tragedy rocked me, and it rocks me still. So where do we turn in moments like these? Where do I turn? And the truth of the matter is, in a very real way, I turn to y'all. And before I explain what I mean, I want to tell you about a conversation I had with Scott Morris. Scott Morris of Church Health. He isn't here this morning, by the way, because he is worshiping elsewhere at a small outdoor cathedral in Georgia. Amen Corner is where they call it. Anyway, I did ask Scott what I should talk about this morning. I went to Crosstown and visited him in his office, and I asked Scott what I should talk about. And he said, well, you should talk about yourself. Don't talk about others. Talk about yourself. I, I get uncomfortable with that. But he said, talk about yourself, because people really want to know what inspires you. And so I was pondering on that. And then he said, but, but while you're here, let me take you on a tour of our dentistry clinic. And so he did. And at the end of the clinic, there is a wall of before and after photos. And there was one photo of a guy I'll call Jim. And Scott pointed to it and he said, Jim came in here with meth mouth. That's what meth mouth looks like. And his teeth were a disaster. But Jim had come in. He had worked with a counselor at church health. He had gotten clean. And then he got this beautiful smile. And that's what the second photo was of, before and after. And then there was another photo of a guy named, we'll call Bob. And he had actually come in because he said, I want to be the next Jim. And so he too had had meth mouth. He got clean. He got a job. He got a beautiful smile. And looking at those four pictures, considering those lives of those two men, I wanted to break out my laptop and tell the entire world that story. Because that is what inspires me. The stories that I have the privilege to tell. However anxious I might have been about this sermon when I was going to see Scott, or however dispirited I might have been about various things happening in the world, I was moved by the idea of such miraculous work unfolding in our city. And I wanted to tell everybody about it instantly. There's a curious phrase in Luke 5, in the story of the paralyzed man that we just heard, and that phrase is, when he saw their faith. In the story, 
Some men are carrying a paralyzed man on a mat to see Jesus, presumably to be healed. They can't reach him because of the crowds. So what happens? But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the room and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. The story continues. And when he saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven you. And then the paralyzed man was healed. But that was the phrase, when he saw their faith. What does that even mean? How can you see faith? It's like seeing hope, or it's like seeing the wind. Except when you stop and think about it, I bet that every single person in this church can think of someone who showed you their faith every single day. For me, I immediately think of my parents, Evan and Virginia Calkins. Some of you may know, because I've written about them a little bit, um, that I lost both my parents in the last three years. Dad died. He was still taking care of mom at age 99. He died falling down the stairs. He was getting a recycling box after Christmas. And he died falling down the stairs. He hit his head and had a brain bleed. And then mom, who was much more infirm, she died last October on her 97th birthday. My parents were both churchgoers, and they made sure that us nine kids were churchgoers. Uh, every Sunday, as we went home from Hamburg Presbyterian Church, we were quizzed on what the theme of the sermon was, and we were asked to recite Bible verses. But we didn't talk much about things like faith. I think it maybe was felt too intimate for a Yankee family. And so they showed their faith instead. One of family friends were killed in a car accident one Easter morning. My parents took in the three badly injured children for the rest of the year. When I was diagnosed with leukemia in the third grade, my mom would lug a typewriter into the hospital and I would dictate stories to her. And she would type them up and she said, well, you can have these and read them a long time from now when you get well. When I was diagnosed, nine out of 10 kids who had leukemia didn't make it. My mom told me many years later that when she first got the diagnosis, when she first heard the diagnosis, she thought it would have been easier for everybody if I'd been hit by a truck. But she was there with me in the hospital all the time with that typewriter and everyone saw her faith. The last few years were hard for my parents. You know how it can go. Anyone with elderly parents knows how it can go. But one day my father called my sister Joan who lives down the street and said that, I, that he thought that maybe mom had died during the night. When Joan arrived at the house, he saw dad sitting in the, she saw dad sitting in the kitchen. And she said, so did mom, she's still with us? And dad said, I don't know. And Joan said, what do you mean you, you don't know? Gently, she said it, you're a doctor. And he said, I didn't want to check because I didn't want to discover she had died and be alone with that. We need each other to get through the hardest times. And we need each other's example to remind us of God's work in the world. 
That's why my job has been such a privilege over these last two decades. Not because I get to cover the biggest games, although that's fun, it's because I get to write about all the miraculous things happening in this city, all the miraculous things happening around us. That is what sustains me. What sustains me is a story I heard just the other day about a young woman named Jade Rogers. She has cerebral palsy. There was a running group in town that was putting together a relay race to run a 50-mile relay. And typically you would think they would, and most of the groups did, the fastest people they could find to have this 50-mile relay. But this team asked Jade Rogers if she would like to run the last 10 feet. It was slow, and it was painstaking, and it was glorious. What sustains me is a column I wrote, once wrote about Derek Barton, the former tennis coach at Rhodes. Derek Barton grew up in England. He was a great, great, great tennis player. He was going to be the next Wimbledon champion. Everyone could see that. But then World War II came, and he enlisted, and he fought, and by the time the war was over, his best tennis playing days were behind him. So he came to Memphis, and he formed a very different life. He coached at Rhodes, he coached at the university club, and he touched thousands of lives. When Derek Parton died, someone got the idea, wouldn't it be nice if some of his ashes could make it back to the old country? And his daughter, so happened that the Archbishop of Canterbury was preaching from this very pulpit. And so his daughter, I don't know, I would have had the courage to do this, but his daughter asked the Archbishop of Canterbury, could you take maybe some of my father's ashes and bring them to England? And he said he would. But she didn't hear anything for a little while, so she reached out for an update. And this is the note she got back. I am sending you this email from the Royal Box at Wimbledon. I have placed Derek's ashes directly outside the Royal Box at Center Court. That is the sort of story that sustains my faith in God, in people, and in the meaning of a well-led life. When I was a college student, I used to go hear a preacher named Peter Gomes. Wonderful, wonderful preacher and a splendid writer too. In his book called The Good Life, Gomes wrote this about faith. Faith is not something we say we believe or that we think we believe or that we believe we believe. What we really believe is what our actions show we believe. Again, faith is not something we say we believe or that we think we believe or that we believe we believe. What we really believe is what our actions show we believe. So those before and after photos from Scott Morris were an expression of his faith. Church health is an expression of faith. But you know what else is an expression of faith? St. Jude, Jude Children's Research Hospital. You know what else is an expression of faith? The new Overton Park golf course, which is the inspiration of George Cates, whose life itself was an expression of faith. You know what else is an expression of faith? asking a young woman with cerebral palsy to join your race team. 
You know what else is an expression of faith? This Lenten preaching series going on 99, 100 years. I could go on and on and on. In difficult times, when we are tested, it is valuable to turn to the stories in the Bible for inspiration. But I turn to the stories of Memphians too, to see the work that is being done in schools and in medical clinics, and yes, even at nonprofit newspapers, to see what faith looks like in Memphis today. There is, of course, a challenge to this way of thinking to each and every one of us. If faith isn't just something we believe, if it really is something that our actions say we believe, then what are our actions saying about us now? I ask myself this honestly in my work as a sports columnist, and I struggle with it too. I have had a blast writing about games for the last two decades. But lately I have been thinking I need to write fewer columns about games and more columns about us. What will that look like? I don't really know right now. The Grizzlies are about to embark on the playoffs and there are some wonderful games hopefully ahead. But as this Lenten season comes to a close, I've been asking myself a question and maybe you will ask yourself this question too. When people see my faith, what do they see? Thanks be to God. The Calvary Podcast theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator, and thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.